This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 320, and we're recording on March 1st. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot, and it's a weird time in the world, again. Uh As always, a question mark? Like, I don't know. Well, (laughs) yeah. It's a weirder. It's a new flavor of weird. It's a new (laughs) flavor of disaster. Yeah. So we're sending good thoughts to everybody. We're going to talk about some books. We're going to try to talk about some books. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, we're we're thinking of everybody dealing with everything. Okay. Uh, how does this show work when we're not blathering about the world? It is a reading recommendation show. We swear. You can send us requests. Maybe you love a certain kind of book and you're having trouble finding more of it. Perhaps you need a recommendation for a friend or family member or a book club or whatever. And you can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or there's a form on the Book Riot site for every episode in the show notes. Uh, you can send it in there. If you have a time-sensitive request, please put all caps, time-sensitive, and then the date you're hoping to hear back by. We might email you. We might not. We might talk about it on the show. We might not. Who knows? It's a it's a big question mark. But <laughs> anyway, send us your questions. Uh, a quick bit of housekeeping is that we are migrating platforms, and you should not experience any interest interruption in your show delivery. But if you do, because that might happen because technology, Mm. you should be able to resubscribe in your podcatcher of choice relatively easily. If it's weirder than that, you know, shoot us an email, let us know. We'll work on it. But you shouldn't notice anything, ideally. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's do feedback. We have lots of feedback today from listeners. Uh, So much. April says for for April, who was looking for a read-alike for the song Burn, Butcher, Burn. From the that Winter's- is right. I did double check I, it. I was just going to say, I was like, oh, multiple Aprils are in our in our listener base. That's cool. Uh, so, yes, April recommends for April, for who was looking for a read-alike for the song Burn, Butcher, Burn. I thought the backup by Erica Kudish might work. It was sold to me as a romance, but it is not a romance. There is no happily ever after or happy for now. There is an intimate relationship and a strained familial relationship. The main character at first reads very sad and maybe numb, but I actually think they were very angry. Mm. And then Tori says, for the person looking for a multi-generational book about a family, uh, they want American Pop by Snowden Wright, the book I asked about in my question, lol. Uh, Let's see. It's about a family broken down after its family built a huge company around their soda recipe. Uh, Matriarch and patriarch meet as young adults, are broke, fall in love, build empire, raise babies, baby lose family recipe, angst ensues, etc., etc. Sounds sounds interesting. Uh, Trigger warnings for racism, homophobia, sex, assault, and ableism. And then Siobhan says, for the reader who wanted Southern multi-generational books, uh, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by... Is it Du Bois or Du Bois? I'm pretty sure it's Du Bois. Dubois. That's how I've always heard it 
said, but now I'm questioning myself. Well, I'm sure somebody <laughs> will write in and tell us for sure. By Anori Fanon Jeffers. It's exactly what they're looking for. It follows two to three generations in modernish times and several more before the history of black people was regularly written down. And Fanon Jeffers is also a poet, so the writing is stellar. Mm. Don't be scared by how chunky it is. I love that chunky has become a word that we all use. It's I know. It's <laughs> one of my favorite internet words. Just general okay. vernacular. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one more piece of feedback from Gina. So let's see. For the person, oh, sideways recommendations for the person interested in hori- historiography. A lot of recent biographers and historians of people and groups who are underrepresented in traditional sources make interesting comments about their historiographic practices. Three that I've really loved are Annette Gordon Reed's The Hemingses of Monticello about Thomas Jefferson's Black family, Morgan Jerkins's Wandering in Strange Lands, Jerkins exploring ideas of identity and home as a Black woman whose ancestors took part in the Great Migration, and Jen Chaplin's My Autobiography of Carson McCullers, one of the best books I read last year, and a fascinating look at ways to approach probably queer historical figures. Woo! All right. Good job, everyone. Uh, Amanda, you want to read our first question? I do. Our first question is from Victor, who says, My friend did a blind date with a book, but it was late, and he kept checking the tracking, and then it was The Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, like, action, I don't know, timeline. It's a journey. It's a journey. It was late, he kept tracking, and then it was The Hobbit, (laughs) Uh, which I haven't read, but I haven't read. Amanda has read it. I'm back to reading the question. Uh, I haven't read it, but it seems very anticlimactic to assume that someone hasn't read it or needs a new copy of The Hobbit. It's a classic, so everyone has read it or has a copy. Anyway, I think he wanted a sci-fi book, not fantasy. I want to give him a recommendation. Can you do it for me? Don't say The Hitchhiker's Guide. (laughs) Um, I love everything about what's happening right here, but we're going to hear from our sponsor first. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal. Join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So 
OA, a fake relationship, might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so just a sci-fi book that's not The Hitchhiker's Guide, I think, is what we're being asked for. Um, So I, as a smart aleck, put Hitchhiker's Guide in my recommendations on the agenda, but that's not what I'm going to say. So I picked The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling because it's fairly not like not a super well-known title it's sci-fi it's very fast-paced really gripping uh and i think that what, what you're going for with a blind date with a book is something that you've probably not heard of that's gonna that's gotta have like broad appeal because you don't know what what audience person is gonna get it like you don't, don't that's the whole point of a blind date with a book right you don't know who's gonna end up with it so i think the loomis does a good pick because it hits both of those things and it's also a bit scary spooky which i think is a pretty broadly appealing uh, kind of subgenre of sci-fi. It takes place on another planet in this like mining, like a mining colony. The main character's name is Geyer. And she has lied about her qualifications in order to get a job as a a caver, a spelunker. I don't know the real word. A person who goes into caves is the thing that she's doing. And she thinks that it's like mapping mineral deposits for future mining expeditions and all of that. And because it's a really high paying gig, she is assuming that she's going to have a lot of like on the surface support and all of that. And she lied so because of the money so she could get the paycheck and then get off this planet and go on about her business. Um, but that's not what happens. She finds herself alone underground in this really claustrophobic, dangerous situation. And her handler on the surface is just one person uh, as opposed to like people taking shifts. And that person has no qualm. Her name is M. She has no qualms with like waking Geyer up with shots of adrenaline that her suit automatically administers and doing all these things to manipulate her her body with these drugs in the suit and like blackmailing her and she knows that she lied about her qualifications so obviously both characters here are quite morally gray there's the mysteries to like why Geyer is actually there and why M has hired her even though she knows she's not as skilled and like what is she actually going to sending her out to find. So you get deeper and deeper underneath the surface of this planet. Things get spookier and spookier, creepy and creepier. There are worms, because of course there are. And yeah, it's a, just a really fun, great read. It is not The Hitchhiker's Guide. Okay, so that's The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also, I was thinking a lot about, you know, what does it mean to recommend a book to somebody who just wants a sci-fi book and you have no idea, you know, what their familiarity is and what they like and what they don't like and, you know, other than it not be The Hitchhiker's Guide. So I was thinking about, like, super accessible, very recent sci-fi that I thought would suck somebody in, whether they're, like, a diehard fan of the genre or have never read any sci-fi before. So I'm going with Machinehood by Divya. Two quick content warnings. Uh, this does have the death of a child and an unwanted pregnancy in it. So if kid stuff is hard for you, just FYI. I loved this. This is one of my favorite sci-fis of 2021. It came out last year. And it is action packed. <laughs> the main character, Welga, is a bodyguard and ex-military. 
Oh, and it's like 2095. So it's a little bit in the future, but not so far in the future that you have to like explain all the technology. And there's a lot of really interesting, like what would be the next step of this piece of technology in here? So like surveillance is universal, but like nobody's mad about it. Like it's just Mm. normal, which is one of the weirder, like for me anyway, things to get my head around. But it's just because it is so universal. It's just like everybody's getting spied on all the time. They get tips from people watching their lives if they do something interesting, including having sex. It's wild. But yeah, so like that's just like a non-issue. Instead, artificial intelligence is like one of the main issues. And because, you know, artificial intelligence is a thing and computers are so good at doing stuff, people are chemically enhancing themselves to do a good enough job to keep up with the AIs, right? And of course, this has huge impact on the body. Um, Welga is experiencing some potentially progressive chronic symptoms from the use of like drug chemical enhancers. Um, But she doesn't want to stop because she needs the money and she has to do her job like capitalism, LOL. And so in the meantime, there's also this like covert group that's like, you know, bombing people and targeting her clients. And there's also like a space station situation, all kinds of really, you know, complicated players on the field and she's caught in the middle of it trying to figure out what's going on. There is also some stuff going on with her family that she's like nervous about and distracted by. You get a couple different perspectives. I just thought it was great. Like it's a really interesting look at the future that focuses on different things than I'm used to seeing someone focus on and is also super action packed. So like lots of cool thinky stuff and lots of cool action. I think anybody could get into it. Uh, So again, that's Machinehood by S.B. Divya. Question two is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for stories about black families. Bonus points if it spans over several decades. I have discovered I'm learning more about black history from TikTok than they ever did in school and want to dive into more stories by black authors. That's like the realest sentence. I know. Like I just (laughs) having I'm having a personal moment about that sentence. Okay, back to the question from Jessica. I really enjoyed The Vanishing Half, Such a Fun Age, Silver Sparrow and American Marriage. I think I'm the only person that can't get into Harlem Shuffle. I'm also hesitant about home going because of the trigger warnings, but I'm willing to give it a try if you say I should. Please no trigger warnings for death of a child or on the page rape. Death of a spouse isn't my favorite, but as long as the story doesn't revolve around it, I should be fine. Amanda, what did you pick? Um, So I went across the sea for this question. It's it, You've named a lot of books about uh, like African-American history. And I think it's important when you're considering like the history of the Black experience to travel outside of the American experience, because that books about the American experience so often revolve around having to deal with white people. And like, mm. I think it is important to, for, to read some books about Black people that aren't centered around, not that those books are centered around the experience of dealing with white people, but we're like, that's just like not the story, right? Mm. So I picked His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Medier, who is a Ghanaian author. And this is uh, a book about a, a woman named Afi, who, well, girl, in the book, over, she's like a young teenager, I think. She's a seamstress. Uh, she lives in a little town in Ghana, um, mostly with her mother, who is a widow, um, and her uncle, who has many wives and many children. So she's just like one of the nameless horde of kids in this little town. Um, And then she is one day offered a proposal of marriage from the family of a man named Alikam, who she like barely knows. But Alikam's mom is a big matriarch of this town and has offered 
uh, for this marriage to happen. And so Afi takes it because she doesn't really have any other opportunities to get out of this town. Not that she like needs to get out of this town, but it's a big opportunity for her family and there's a lot of pressure. So she agrees to marry him. Um, except he doesn't even show up to the wedding. He, like, sends a stand-in to the wedding. And so she moves to the big city of Accra in Ghana, the capital city where he lives, uh, moves into his apartment. And then, like, he doesn't show up for weeks. So she's just on her own in this huge new city, in this huge new apartment with, like, servants and does not know what to do with herself. When he eventually shows up, she gets the whole story, which is that he is currently and has been for many, many moons in love with another woman who his family does not approve of. And so this marriage was designed to, like, distract him from that functionally. Like, it is now Afi's job to make him fall in love with her and get him away from this woman that his family does not like. The wrinkle is that she ends up actually quite liking him and, like, really actually starts to care about whether or not he spends time with this other woman. And so she has a child. Things get more and more complicated. And then she starts to kind of realize that this is not the relationship she wants, that she deserves better. And it's really both a coming of age because she's quite young, but also a realization of like worth as a human person and um, the ability to be independent away from a man or familial obligations or all of that. So it's like a really empowering very satisfying. There are a couple of things like lines that she says to her husband where you're just like, yes, tell him and that are just, uh, just right in the gut. I love it so much. <laughs> so that's his only wife by Peace Adzo Medie. I am sort of wishing I'd gone first <laughs> because you made such a good point about reading outside of the U.S. for Black History and mine is American. Uh, but, but it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It is so good. It is so good. And I now I'm thinking about this. I haven't read... I can't think of a single multi-generational black family mm. book I've read that takes place outside of the U.S. So now I'm going to dive down that rabbit hole mm. in all of my spare time that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. All right. So rewind. My pick is The Rib King by Lady Hubbard, uh, which does come with content warnings for racial violence and slurs and harm to children, but no death of children. I did take that seriously. And I think this is important reading for especially white folks or non-black folks in America who maybe have not considered the implications of having, like, Uncle Ben or Aunt Jemima Mm. as a label on your food. Like, I Mm -hmm. think a lot of us, including myself, have not really thought about that. And this book, you're not going to be able to stop thinking about it. Also, it's beautiful. I'm obsessed with Lady Hubbard's writing. Like, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. she's so good. So this takes place in, uh, it does take place over a couple of decades and uh, switches characters as well. We start off with August Sitwell, who has been working for the Barclays, who are a well-to-do white family in, I want to say Boston. It's like northeast somewhere. And they, like, found him in an orphan asylum, recruited him, gave him a job. He's a groundskeeper. All of their staff is black, which is, you know, a thing. And he is, he, like, in the course of doing his job, ends up inventing a sauce with the cook for this dinner party that they're giving because the Sitwells are actually, um, or excuse me, the Barclays are actually like, they used to be rich and are not any longer and they are faking. And so they're giving a dinner party and the staff has just been told like, you have to deliver a feast on no money. So like they do what they can. They invent this amazing sauce and they sell this rib sauce to local markets using a caricature of August on the label. And then we jump forward. Like a big thing happens. 
huge, like, crimey thing happens. And <laughs> then we jump forward in time and see, like, what has become of the black staff that were in the house when all of this went down and, like, what impact it had on them. Not super positive in some cases. And you do get a couple different generations of people's perspectives and I think a really interesting and useful way to see how like each generation deals with or does not deal with what has happened to them and happened before them and the characters are just so good it's so angry in like the most satisfying and important way and yeah I think it's like super important especially like I said for white Americans to consider like what does this mean Let's think about this. Uh, again, so that's The Rib King by Lady Hubbard. Also, I do want to encourage you to read Homegoing when you're ready for it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's got some tough stuff, but it's so worth it. You know, I just, that note about, like, Aunt Jemima, thing, I yeah. just learned, like, two years ago that Jack Daniels was invented by a black man. Yes! Like, yes! bonkers that I never, I never knew that. Anyway, mm-hmm. if you are a whiskey drinker, go Google who actually created the recipe for Jack Daniels. Hint, his name was Nathan Green. He was an enslaved black man. You're welcome. And he is not on a label. And no, let's think about not. why that is. Mm-hmm, 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 lots, mm-hmm. lots to think about. Okay, question three is from Mike, who says, I'm looking for a book that is low stakes fun. I'm thinking Ocean's Eleven, interesting people doing something cool or having fun. The closest book I can think of is The Thursday Murder Club, but that had a lot of sadness around aging and death. I just want to party. (laughs) I love this question. I love the line, I just want to (laughs) party. Okay, so I went for Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto, which might seem like a straight... Look, I think that it's a fair call. It's like (laughs) four aunties and a young woman doing Ocean's Eleven. Like if Ocean's Eleven were just middle-aged Asian ladies that had a body. <laughs> right, like it would, very, it would be very close to this. And it literally takes place at a party. Like the whole thing unfolds over a wedding reception. So it's about a woman named Medellin whose family is Chinese, Indonesian, and her mother and her mother's three sisters all live, you know, close to her. They're all divorced or widowed. And so it's just really like these five women. Some of them have had sons who, like, moved away to go to college and are generally disappointing with a capital D. So, like, Madeline is carrying on the, like, how to be a good child in this in this family. Um, and her family has started a wedding planning business. So they each have some kind of skill. Like, Madeline is the photographer. Her mom, I think, is the cook make the, or baker makes the makes the cake. And then one of them is a singer and one of them is a florist. And so, like, with their powers combined, they will make your fancy wedding happen. And they have been tasked with running this huge billionaire wedding on this private island off the coast. The wrinkle is that Madeline goes on a date with a guy that her mom, like, catfished on Tinder for her, pretended to be Madeline and, like, set her up. Um, she goes on the date. He turns out to be awful. She accidentally kills him. And then they have to do something with this body Except they also have to put on this billionaire wedding for their, you know, financial future and careers. So they just, like, shuttle this body all over this little island trying to figure out where to stash it without, well, until they figure out what to do with it. Um, There's another complication that the manager of the hotel is Madeline's former love from college, who she, like, you know, the one that got away. So she's constantly distracted while also trying to, like, run this this wedding, which is going to be a big deal for her family. So as you can tell, there's a lot going on. It's so silly and fun and hilarious. The stakes, while they sound high because they involve someone dying, are very, very low because he's awful and no one cares about him. So that's Dial A for Aunties (laughs) by Jesse Q. Sutanto. I picked the Heroin Complex series by Sarah Kuhn because 
It is, in fact, a party. I mean, one of the plot lines revolves around karaoke. Like, I love this series. It's so much fun. There are, at last count, five books currently out and another one coming out this year. So you're welcome. Uh, It takes place in a Bay Area, San Francisco, where demons come through portals sometimes. And so there are superpowered individuals who have to, like, fight off the demons. Sometimes the demons turn into cupcakes, like killer cupcakes. That's a thing that happens. It's hysterical. And you meet Evie and Aveda in the first book. Evie is the personal assistant to Aveda Jupiter, who is one of these superheroes, also her childhood best friend. There is some, like, drama around their relationship and their past, but, like, it's just there. I mean, it's there to make them real humans. Let's be real. Like, everybody has a thing in their past that is hard for them, and so they have a thing that's hard for them that gets dealt with. But, like, the bulk of this is spent on, like, you know, falling in love, hooking up in cars, and fighting demons. Like, it's so Mm. much fun. I love the characters. You get to, like, hop around between the character POVs from one book to the next. And I really, it is, like, a a kick-butt, kill-demons party. So, you know, have fun. Uh, Again, that's the Heroin Complex series by Sarah Kuhn. Okay, the next question is from Courtney, and it's really long, Mm -hmm. so I am going to sum it up with, let's see, I don't think I've ever read anything about the what the U.S. was like in the two years between the start of World War II in Europe or the end of the Depression and America's entry in 1941. That attitude of industry that Amor Tolls describes in Rules of Civility almost seems like optimism in contrast to the immigrant experience. I would love to find a book that explores these particular elements in 1939 to 1941. I tend to really connect to history through fictional means, the The smallness of a person's life against the backdrop of big events makes it personal for me. However, highly narrative nonfiction or memoir are also other ways that I like to explore historical events. Any ideas, any direction you can suggest would be so greatly appreciated. Amanda, what did you pick? Um, This is such a fascinating question. Earlier in the question, she talks about comparing the the experience of like Muslim families having to really perform patriotism after mm. 9-11 and how Italians and Germans must, who lived in the U.S. must have felt something similar in the years leading up to World War II. And I think that is like a really interesting thing to talk about. I also think it's extra interesting when you can't hide behind the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. So I picked a book about a Japanese-American family. It's called When the Emperor Was Divine by Julia Otsuka. And this is super small. It's like 150 pages. Every chapter is a, the perspective of a different member of a fam- of this family experiencing Japanese internment. Uh, and it's quiet. It's one of those, you know, one of those capital T, like quietly heartbreaking. Um, and I picked it because the first chapter uh, is from the perspective of the mother who receives the order that they have to leave. And it's really set against the backdrop of this life that they have built in the US and um, how being told that you have to leave your neighborhood and leave this whole you know existence that you've built when you've done nothing wrong at all because of you know where you come from like that feeling that punch to the gut when you've been a contributing member of this place of like your new home uh, is really well articulated and then every other chapter is like the next one is from the perspective of the daughter on the train ride to the camp and the son in the camp 
Uh, I also really appreciate this book because it has a chapter about what life is like when they get home. Like, you know, eventually most of those families left the camps and went back to whatever they could salvage of their lives lives after they had been gone for several years. And that chapter is from the perspective of the father, which is rough. It's rough. Um, Because there was a lot of aftermath that I'm sure also Italians and Germans living in the U.S. would have also experienced. You know, they didn't have to be interned, but that same level of like vitriol, I'm sure they were that was pointed at them as well. So that's When the Emperor Was Divine by Julie Atsuka. Yeah, I had to get help with this one. And it is a really interesting question. I was pointed at 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All by Lara Ruby by our contributor Annika and Cassie, actually, who co-signed this. A bunch of them were like, this is the book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So quick content warning notes for uh, violence towards women and children. It is about Italian-Americans in Chicago in the late years of the Great Depression leading into World War II with some bonus World War I. I will tell you that it is has a touch of the supernatural and that it is narrated by a ghost. This is not a spoiler. Um, but like that's it's otherwise like it is very historical fiction. So I think it really is going to give you it's exactly the time period that you were asking about. And it is Italian-Americans, which you were also asking about. Uh, and it's about two sisters, Frankie and Tony, who are abandoned by their father uh, because he just cannot care for them because the Depression This was a thing that happened. And they are like, as the Depression moves into World War II, and they are young women out on the streets, like trying to survive. That's the story. Like, that's what this is about. What was that like? Obviously, very intense. Mm. But yeah, beautifully researched by all accounts. And Laura Ruby is a great writer, a prize winning writer. And so I thought this would be a solid option for you. So again, that is 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All by Laura Ruby. Oh, and it's time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done at 
She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck, while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right, our next question is from Melissa, who says, I have lost my love of reading. If I had to pick a book to blame, it would be Infinite Jest, which felt appropriately titled (laughs) The Shade. LOL. (laughs) In the past, I have loved Murakami, Tom Robbins, and Terry Pratchett by extension Douglas Adams. I did not love The Nightingale, although I recognize the brilliance. If I'm desperate for something to... Oh, I am desperate for something to elevate my mood. No, I was right the first time. If I am desperate for something to elevate my mood, I read Louise Penny. Um, I love a good plot, challenging vocabulary, and maybe some kind of whimsy. I would be grateful for any suggestions. Okay. Um, I went with Beasts of a Little Land by Juhia Kim, which comes with trigger warnings for rape and ethnic war. And this is a historical fiction, a work of historical fiction. It's very literary. It opens in 1917 in occupied Korea. And you got two main characters, Jade, who at the beginning of the book is a young girl who is sold to a courtesan school by her family who can't afford to feed her or keep her any longer. And so she is like, it's literally a school. It's fast. I've never read like a book about I've read a couple of books about girls being sold into various forms of courtesanship. But this one's like literally a school like they learn poetry and they, you know, um, all of these skills and how to read um Uh, But they are destined for life as courtesans. That is what she's going to be when she grows up. It is like decided for her. Um, And then there's an orphan boy named Jung Ho who lives in Seoul and he's like very scrappy. Uh, He makes his way with another with like a band of it's almost like the Lost Boys, like a band of orphans who are just on the streets caring for themselves. They meet Jade and Jung Ho uh, and He becomes a revolutionary fighting for Korean independence against the Japanese, and she becomes a really sought-after performer. And, like, her her opportunities quite widen. She could marry a noble. She could, you know, make a lot of money. She could do all kinds of things. But there's this boy that, um, you know, loves her very much and would do almost anything for her, and she's got to decide what she's going to do, too. Um, So it goes... Like, this is a really, really wide-ranging book. It's like you're in the mountains, you're in Pyongyang, you're in Seoul, uh, which is modernizing. Um, You're in all of these, like, really dark forests. There's war. There's there's love. It's just – so I picked this because you said you lost your love of reading and you want something with a good plot to pick it up. And I think this is so good for that kind of question because – It is so wide ranging and there's so many like fundamental human things happening here, like childhood difficulties, war, love, like the power of the the human spirit, all that kind of stuff. These like big, I'm thinking of an orchestra, like orchestral human experiences all in one, uh, one story of two kids growing up in a really, really turbulent political time. So yeah, that's what I have picked for you. That's Beasts of a Little Land by Juhaya Kim. I went a little lighter and a little more speculative because you mentioned you like Murakami and Todd Robbins and Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams by extension, which is a phrasing <laughs> that cracked me up. 
And I mean, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you may not be surprised by this pick, but it's I think it's really perfect for you. It's When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. And it is a novella, so it's short. So if you're struggling to like really, you know, focus, this is great for that. It has a great plot. It has some definite surrealism and lots of whimsy and like it's such a kind story despite there being tiger demons who might eat you. Like it has, Mm. it really does have this like beautiful caring at the heart of it. The main character is a cleric named Chi who goes around gathering stories. Um, this is technically the second in a novella series, but you they stand alone just fine. So you don't have to have read the first one, although you should because it's great. And in this uh, adventure, Chi has to get over this mountain pass to collect a story that's on the other side. And has to ride a mammoth to get over the pass, because obviously. Uh, and so hires a guide, and they set off on their mammoths, and a snowstorm hits. And they make it to this, like, waypoint, but they are greeted there by tiger demons who are hungry. And so in a very, like, Arabian Nights move, she is like, well, what if I, will you spare us while I tell you a story? And they're like, well, we'll probably eat you at the end. But, like, sure, tell us a story. And the story that she picks to tell is about a tiger who falls in love with a woman. And the tigers are like, that's not how the story goes. And they spend the snowstorm arguing over what actually happens in this story. And it's like a beautiful sort of meta look at who gets to tell a story, what, like, what the different perspectives on a story, how they influence what the plot, you know, is revealed to be. Also, like, tiger demons are just a fun concept. I, I love everything about it. It's really lovely. And I think it will absolutely like suck you in and keep you wrapped up in the story and make you feel better. I, it makes me feel better. So again, that's When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain by Nevo. All right. Our next question is from May, who says, I recently read Claudia Gray's Constellation. In that series, there are two side characters who are members of opposing wings of a radical resistance movement. One is a terrorist. The other is a doctor. And I found myself shipping them so hard. (laughs) I love stories about social movements and debates about the best means of achieving important aims are endlessly fascinating to me. Transpose those themes into a romance and I foam at the mouth. I I love this question so much. But usually... If these themes are explored, it's in a love triangle with a girl deciding between a radical and a moderate guy like in The Hunger Games. I'm looking for a romance between a radical and a moderate who are working towards the same goal. Happy endings not required. Any genre is fine. Some of my favorite books are Do Not Say We Have Nothing, The Countess Conspiracy, The Mill on the Floss, Hothead, and The Song of Achilles. Amanda! Well, let me say, if you like the Countess Conspiracy, have I got a pick for you. (laughs) It's the Suffragette Scandal by Courtney Milan, which is in the same series, the Brothers Sinister series. I don't remember the order, so I don't remember which one comes first, because I read them in no real order, (laughs) as is our want. But if you liked the Countess Conspiracy, you will quite like this. So in the Suffragette Scandal, the main character uh, is Frederica Marshall, who is a suffragette, as (laughs) indicated by the title. Um, And she is a publisher of a women's only newspaper, which, you know, in Victorian England has put a really big target on her back, especially from one particular conservative man who asked her to be his mistress. And when she refused, he decided to destroy her newspaper and her whole life because, well, tale as old as time. The hero's name is Edward, who comes from an aristocratic family who um, he had a huge falling out with. He's become a forger and a rogue and a 'er ne'er-do-well and is also 
the horrible man's brother. So he meets up with uh, Free. She goes by Free, Frederica, and essentially tries to blackmail her in order to use her as like a pawn to get revenge on his brother and his family who he does not like. She is like, however, way smarter than he is. And so they team up to kind of bring this family down and defend Frederica's newspaper and the like cause of suffrage. Suffrage? There we go. Uh, In general. (laughs) Now, in this setup, Free is the radical, obviously. She is not scared of violence. She has, she's like publishing this really radical newspaper, Radical for the Time, um, and she's fighting for a cause that, uh, you know, is is pretty unpopular. Edward is down, but he's not a radical, right? Like, he thinks his brother's behavior is scandalous. It's still very individual and not systemic to Edward. Like, that man is terrible. That man is, you know, this other man is bad, not like the patriarchy or yes, women should be allowed to have a say in their own life choices. It just like hasn't occurred to him on the seer on the surface. He's into it. But as it gets more and more into like the ways it's going to affect his life, he like doesn't really know big question marks. Also, he mostly just wants to make out with you. Like, I don't really want to talk about this kind of kind of stuff. So like he's nominally on board, but he's certainly not going to like publish a newspaper. Right. Where is he? Because it's a romance. So, you know, we're going to find out what happens. Um, <laughs> and they get, they, they, they off they go to like get revenge on Edward's brother and defend Free's ability to publish or to save her newspaper uh, and do this good work. And along the way, maybe Edward has a feminist awakening. I don't know. You're going to have to read it to find out. He does. Okay. So that's the suffragette scandal by Courtney Malone. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> uh, I also went with historical romance on this one. I picked The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows by Olivia Waite, which has a sort of conservative, like, just trying to sort of stay on the down low. Agatha Griffin, she is the publisher, also, weirdly, newspaper publishing is like a (laughs) subplot here. Um, she, She does run a printing press, and her son has gotten very involved in radical politics, and she is super not on board. She is like, you are putting the business in danger. I am trying to make this business a success as like a widow running a thing, which is already hard enough in Mm. Regency England. And on top of it, you are like out here going to coffee shops and like imbibing dangerous political ideas. Like, stop it. We're trying to like say, you know, stay in business here. Like you're going to ruin everything. And then she finds a bunch of bees in one of her warehouses and is like, ugh. So she has to hire a beekeeper to, like, come get the bees out of her warehouse. The beekeeper in question, Penelope Flood, is much more of a radical, like a very quietly radical woman who is just like, yeah, things should be better. Like, why Mm. would you not want things to be better? And she has like a slightly complicated marital arrangement. Stay tuned. It'll be revealed in the book. Uh, And the two of them start to fall for each other. And political shenanigans happen that they then have to deal with. Like, they're differing perspectives on them. And it's really lovely. It's a great romance. I loved everything about this book and i think it will give you some of those vibes it's not quite as like like nobody's a terrorist in this so it doesn't go to that Mm. extreme um but they definitely have to find common ground over their very different political views so again that's the care and feeding of waspish widows by olivia Waite. oh right standard romance disclaimer this is technically number two in the series it doesn't matter (laughs) you do not have to read the first one although you should because it's great Mm mm-hmm 
All right. Our last question is from Ray, who says, I'm looking for books that center around the Caribbean. I don't really know how else to word this request other than just a book that helps me learn more about the culture. I'm from Puerto Rico and would like to read more not only about my island, but the ones around me as well. I'm open to any genre, but would prefer something fictional if possible, maybe even something related to the mythology and the beliefs. Bonus if there is LGBT and or mental illness representation. All right. I went to the Dominican Republic and I picked Dominicana by Angie Cruz, which comes with trigger warnings for domestic violence and does have representation of depression in the book. So this is about a 15-year-old girl named Anna who lives in the DR uh, in the countryside. And she is quite happy. I feel like now I have a theme of like girls who are happy in the village till a man comes along kind of a situation. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was totally fine until you showed up. Um, So she's 15. She lives in a village. She's Fine. Uh, But then a man named Juan Ruiz, who is like from a family that's doing pretty well financially, comes and proposes to her and says that he's going to take her to New York City. And she's like, sure, that sounds great. He is twice her age. She does not love him. But this is a really big opportunity for her whole family, who she's very close to, to get to the U.S., which this takes place in um, the 60s. So this is like very much a thing that they're wanting to do. So Anna leaves. She gets married. She leaves. um, She ends up in Washington Heights. Her husband is gone a lot and is abusive. And so she is miserable and sad. She doesn't speak English. She doesn't speak English. She doesn't have any friends. Um, she's just kind of stuck in this apartment. And so she makes a plan to leave. But at the when she makes it all the way to the bus terminal, but then Juan's brother, Cesar, who's like, actually a nice person, um, convinces her to stay and give it a go in the U.S. Back at home, the DR is experiencing tons of, like, really bad political upheaval. Uh, Juan goes back to, uh, like, keep an eye on his property functionally and leaves Cesar to take care of Anna. She starts taking English lessons. She starts figuring out how to, like, navigate New York. She figures out how to, like, go see a movie. She witnesses social upheaval on the streets of New York and maps that back onto her experience at home. She, you know, starts to do, similar to his only wife, um, a coming of age of realizing her own value and her own power and her own ability to um, survive no matter what country she's in and thrive. And so Juan comes and goes. The story jumps back and forth between Washington Heights in New York, where Anna lives, and her family in the DR. And so you get a really big picture, not just of the Dominican experience at home during this time, which is the 60s up to like present day, um, but also the experience of Dominican immigrants in the U.S. So it's a really multi-ranging book with a lot of reach. So that is Dominicana by Angie Cruz. Thank you for asking this question. You gave me (laughs) an excuse to talk about one of my favorite books of this year already, which does not come out until March 15th, but that's like two weeks away. It's fine. You're going to be fine. Um, I don't usually do this, but I just couldn't help myself with this. I don't get either of the super bonus points, but I think you're really going to love this book. It is When We Were Birds by Ayanna Lloyd Benwo. As I said, it is my new obsession. It takes place in Trinidad and Tobago outside of Port Angeles. Well, outside and inside of Port Angeles. And there are two characters, Yajida, who lives like outside of the city um, in this very small village in this fancy house. Her her the St. Bernard women, like the women of her family, have lived in this house for generations. It used to be a plantation and now is owned by the descendants of the enslaved peoples. And they are there is this mythology around their family and they are like sort of the keepers of the dead in like a very meaningful and intense way. But Yajida has a really complicated and not great relationship with her mother. So she has not really been trained or explained. Nothing has been explained to her. 
And now mm-hmm. she's, you know, an adult and her mother has is passing and she doesn't know what is in store for her. So she is the first character. And then we get Darwin. And this was also interesting because I've never actually realized I never read anything about a character who was raised in the like as a devout Rastafarian, which Darwin was his mother's devout. And he was raised to like, you know, be in the community and like follow the religious tenets, which, again, something I knew nothing about. Really interesting. And I'm so glad to have learned some stuff. Um, And one of the commandments in the Rastafarian religion is not to interact with death. You don't go to funerals. You don't go anywhere near a dead body. Like this is this is a thing. Yes. So he okay, but there's work is very extremely scarce. His mother has arthritis and is starting to not be able. She's a seamstress. She's not being like she's really struggling to continue to take on work. And so he has to take literally any job. And the only job he can get is as a grave digger in Port Angeles. Not ideal. Right. But like he's like, what else am I supposed to do? There's no money. There's no food. Like I have to take this job. It's the only one I'm going to get. So he goes into the city to take this job. And what he finds there leads him to Yajida and vice versa. And it is a a beautiful love story. B so steeped in like the culture and concerns and like folklore and religion of Trinidad and Tobago. Like, oh, it's so beautifully done. And the writing, oh my God, y'all, I just can't get over the writing. It's like mildly, I don't know how mild, it's dialect. It's like, it's written in the dialect of the area and it's so perfect. I just, I'm like obsessed with this book, as you can probably tell. Anyway, I think you're going to love it. Everybody should read it. And it, it's very much answers your question, except for the super bonus points. Uh, so, again, that's When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwell. Put it on my list. Do it. It's so good. All right. <laughs> so that's our show. <laughs> oh, here we go. Back to the rest of the world, I guess. Uh, thanks so much to you all. Thanks to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is great at her job. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I already said thank you for listening. But if you want more book recommendations, you can find those on bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. You can leave us a and or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Helps other people to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, where can people find you, Amanda? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.